You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. He is risen. Yeah, we got some people who grew up in traditional church. Usually the congregation responds with, He is risen indeed, so let's try that. He is risen. Amen. Right. This is a beautiful day. Uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday, whatever you like to call it, uh, is my absolute favorite holiday above all others. Right. Today it is especially on our mind that the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Right. But in reality, this Sunday is not much different from any other Sunday. It's really not. Right. The Lord's Day, our day of worship, the Christian Sabbath, is on Sunday particularly because Sunday is the day that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why we worship on Sundays. We meet together each week on Sunday to commemorate the fact that we serve a risen Lord. We have a risen Savior. Each Sunday we gather to worship the crucified and risen Lord of glory. So in a very real sense, this is something I want you guys to think about each week, in a very real sense, every single Sunday for us is Resurrection Sunday. Think about who it is you're worshiping, the one who died and was raised. But I I do think it is fitting and appropriate for us to focus on the truth and beauty of the resurrection today. Um, Right? Like we actually know Jesus was raised the Sunday after Passover. So that does make this day a bit special because we know that it was indeed on this day that Christ was raised. And I think that does make today a bit special, uh, though it's not biblically commanded to be observed in any way. Uh, But I think it's good for us to set aside time and take leave from whatever book of the Bible that we're studying uh, and spend some time reflecting on the monumental truth that the Lord Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. So that's what we're going to do today. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of human history. Write that down. It's the most important event in all of human history. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all of our preaching is in vain, your faith is futile, and we should be pitied more than all other people because we are still in our sins. Our entire religion hangs upon the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and indeed, he has been raised. He is alive. He is God, he is Lord of all, and he is worthy of our worship. The resurrection of Christ sets him apart from everyone else who has ever been born into this world. Because everyone else who has been born has died and stayed dead. Even even people who were raised from the dead, right, because you can read about those accounts in the Bible, they died again, (laughs) right? Every one of them, which had to have been kind of a bummer. Like Lazarus gets raised from the dead. He's like, ah, I was in heaven. That was great. And now I have to die again, <laughs> right? I don't know if you ever thought about that like that. That had to have been a bummer uh, for him. But not Christ. Christ died and was raised to never die again. To show you this, I want to borrow some lyrics from the Reformed Christian rapper Shylin. You should look him up. Elvis is dead. Picasso is dead. Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin are dead. Marilyn Monroe is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Marlon Brando is dead. James Brown is dead. Princess Di and John Lennon are dead. Biggie and Tupac are dead. However, Jesus is alive. Plato is dead. Socrates is dead. Aristotle and Immanuel Kant are dead. Nietzsche and Darwin are dead. However, Jesus is alive. 
Buddha is dead, Muhammad is dead, Gandhi and Haile Selassie are dead, Elijah Muhammad is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Nero is dead. Constantine is dead. Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun are dead. Alexander the Great is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Napoleon is dead. Lao Tzu is dead. Che Guevara and Henry VIII are dead. Saddam Hussein is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Pharaoh is dead. Cyrus is dead. Darius and Sennacherib are dead. Nebuchadnezzar is dead. However, Jesus is alive. Caesar is dead. Herod is dead. Annas, Caiaphas, and Judas are dead. Pontius Pilate is dead. However, Jesus is alive. He stands distinct from the rest and let no other ever be mentioned in the same sentence as him. Shailen's point is that everyone, no matter how famous, how great, how influential, whether they started a false religion or were worshipped as a god, no matter how powerful, mighty, or wealthy, they all die. And when they die, they stay dead. But the Lord Jesus is greater than them all. He is the one who died and, behold, is alive forevermore. He's the one who conquered the grave. He's the one who offered himself as a sacrifice for sinners and was raised from the dead on the third day. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's God in the flesh. He's the Savior of His people. He is risen. All men are nothing compared to Him. And all men owe worship to Him. The the world and everything in it is but a vapor. But He is alive forevermore. And those who place their faith in Him will live with Him forever. And His enemies, those who refuse Him, and despise him and count him as someone of no account, will perish as conquered foes. So this evening, my goal is not to give an apologetic defense for the resurrection of Christ. Thought about that. My goal is not to take apart arguments against the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, though we do have great arguments and apologetics for those things. But my goal this evening is... To preach about the resurrection of Christ in such a way that the people of God rejoice and are led to worship the Savior that they love. I want those of us who love the Lord Jesus to bask in the glory of his resurrection and the great meaning it has to us and the great implications that it has for us. And if there are any present with us, whether you're a professing Christian and you've been faking it or I don't believe I see any visitors here but I could be blind My prayer is that any unbeliever here, as they hear this beautiful message of Christ's resurrection being preached, is that God would open your eyes to the beauty and truth of his resurrection so that you might indeed be saved. So with that said, let's go ahead and read our text, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. 
So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we come before you this evening and ask that you would bless us as we sit under the power and authority of your word. Please rid us of any anxieties or worries that we might have and give us minds that are singularly focused on you and what you've spoken in your word. We ask that you'd help us to see and understand the beauty of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and that you'd work in our hearts to give us great joy and move us to greater worship and love of the Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so let's set the scene. Which might be a little bit redundant because you guys already know the story. Right, the Lord Jesus has already offered himself on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners on Friday. Right, he has been crucified and he's died. He's taken the wrath of God upon himself and he's been punished by God the Father in place of sinners on Friday. He gave up his spirit and declared it is Finished. The debt has been paid. My people have been redeemed by my blood. He died. He was buried on Friday. That's day one. He spent the whole day Saturday dead and in the grave. That's day two. And now we come to the third day. Verse one. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. All right, so toward the dawning of Sunday morning, the first day of the week, right, that's what that is, that's why we worship today, the first day of the week, Matthew's account says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, probably the mother of James and Joseph, if you read uh, Matthew 27, verse 56, that's probably the other Mary, they go to visit the tomb. Now, a quick aside here, uh, when we look at all the gospel accounts, particularly the gospel of Luke, we see that it was a small group of women that went to the tomb, right, but Matthew thought it only important to list just these two women. Right, so just like in the following verses, Matthew mentions only one angel, though there are two angels mentioned in other accounts. Right? This isn't a contradiction, though. This is just something I wanted to lay out there uh, so that you weren't caught unaware uh, whenever unbelievers like to point these things out. Uh, this isn't a contradiction because Matthew doesn't say it was only two women who were there. He only mentions two women. Right? And he doesn't say that there was only one angel at the tomb. Right? Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew decided to mention these two women and only mention the one angel who spoke. I just want to get that out of the way real quick if you've been reading all the accounts of the resurrection this past weekend. But why, do these, why, why were these women there? Right? What did this group of women come to do? Matthew records that they came to see the tomb. And that was certainly true. Right? They, they, they had come to see the place where their Lord was buried. Uh, the Gospel of Luke records for us that they had also come to further anoint the body of Jesus with spices and ointments, right? And that might seem weird to us, right? Like, why would they do that? Um, th this was actually a Jewish custom. Uh, it was kind of a way that they would pay their respects to the dead and show a, a, a final act of love for the deceased. Um, they, they had been able to anoint his body somewhat on Friday, uh, but with the sun going down and the Sabbath approaching that starts on Friday evening, uh, they had to quit early. Uh, so what they had done is they had went to see the tomb and finish this act of love and respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. Th these women were in mourning. Right? They, were, they were in mourning. Th they went to the tomb not to see a risen Savior, but to anoint a dead man. That's what they had done. 
They went not to see a risen Lord, but anoint a dead man. Uh, apparently, they had forgotten Jesus' promise to come back from the dead. Or, more likely, they had very weak faith and didn't believe that it was possible. Thank God that he has mercy on those of us with weak faith. It's not how strong our faith is. It's the object of our faith that saves us. Weak faith and a strong Savior saves sinners. Just two cents on that. They probably didn't believe it was possible. They were women of weak faith in that moment. But they did love him. They did love Christ. The, the fact that they were the first people to the tomb, and they came with spices and ointments to anoint his body, is proof that they loved him. These women had heard him teach. They, were, they had heard him teach. That they had seen him perform miracles. Mary Magdalene herself had had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. When the apostles ran and weren't present at the crucifixion except for a few of them, the women were there. The women anointed his body before he was buried. They really loved him. And they sought to honor him in this final act of love. But even though these women went to the tomb to show their love for Jesus, there was a bit of a problem. There was no way that they were going to get in. Right? You can read in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66, you read that the, the Pharisees, after Jesus had been crucified and was dead, went to Pilate and asked that a Roman guard be set over the tomb. Right? They, they wanted a guard set there, a guard of Roman soldiers set there, so that the, the disciples couldn't come and steal Jesus' body and then claim he is risen from the dead like he said that he would. Right? So what they did was they set a huge stone in front of the tomb, right? It would have taken multiple strong men to move this monstrous stone. But not only did they put a stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, they sealed the stone, right? That might sound weird. Maybe you've never heard of that. They sealed the stone. Think of uh, old school letters, right? You would seal them with wax. That way, if someone opened the letter and gave it to you, you could see, ah, the seal is broken. Someone has been inside this letter, right? Same concept there. They would seal the stone outside of the tomb, so if anyone were to come and move the stone, steal Jesus' body, and then put the stone back, they could see that the seal had been broken, all right? So they had put a huge stone over the tomb, sealed it, and then they set a guard of Roman soldiers over that tomb. Now, Roman soldiers are no joke, Right? They're the military elite of their day. They're battle-hardened men, and they took their jobs as soldiers incredibly seriously. Uh, not only that, but when you were set over something as a guard, uh, if you fell asleep during your watch, you're dead. Or if someone comes and steals the thing or person that you're guarding, you're probably going to die. Right? You have to take its place, <laughs> essentially. So again, we have this tomb shut up by a huge stone. The stone is sealed. A bunch of Roman soldiers guarding the tomb on pain of death if anyone goes in or steals the body. There is no natural way that these women were going to be able to get into the tomb. But little did anyone involved know something miraculous was about to take place. We'll read verses 2 through 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So we have this earthquake hit, right? A, a great earthquake, a, kind of like literally a mega earthquake, I believe is what the, the Greek says. It's a huge earthquake. It's not this small little quiver, but a great earthquake. 
And I believe that this earthquake is meant to remind us of the other time that the earth shook just three days earlier whenever Jesus died. All right, so this earthquake is meant to signal to us a divine act. God is doing this. Right? It's not a result of natural causes like plate tectonic shift or plate shifting or any of that stuff. But this earthquake is happening because an angel of the Lord is descending from heaven. Right? God is doing something important. He's interrupting the natural order of things in order to do something important. And this angel descends and rolls back the stone and sits on it, which always makes me laugh a little bit. This angel just like pops a squat on top of the stone that was sealing Jesus' tomb. Always makes me chuckle personally. But he sits on this stone so that, so that it'll be apparent to everyone present that he's the one who moved this stone. So the angel rolls the stone to the tomb away so you can see into it and so that you can enter into the tomb. Now, I, I want to I stop here and make a note. The, the, the angel did not roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out of the tomb. You've probably seen some very stupid pictures of that depiction. <laughs> That's not how that works. All right, the angel did not roll the stone away so Jesus could be freed from the grave. All right, that's not what any accounts of the resurrection tell us. In fact, when the stone is rolled away, what does it reveal? The tomb is already empty. Right, and I think that there's something significant for us to see there. And if nothing else, I'm just trying to be simple in this whole sermon. Jesus didn't need any help whatsoever in his resurrection. And that's not to disregard that the Father raised him or that he was raised by the spirit of holiness. Right? This was a, a, an inter-Trinitarian act. This was a triune act. Some passages of the scripture say Jesus has the authority to raise himself up. Other passages say he was raised by the Father or raised by the power of the Spirit. What I mean is God needs no help to accomplish this. No creature, no creation is going to assist him in this resurrection. God has done this himself. Christ was already out of the grave when the stone was removed. How? I don't know. I don't know. Apparently, the resurrected and glorified body of the Lord Jesus can move through solid objects. You can actually read this happening again in John chapter 20, where Jesus just enters a room that was shut and bolted locked. I'm not going to try to explain any of that <laughs> because the Bible doesn't tell us, all right? So I'm going to shut up where the Bible shuts up. It's, it's miraculous, right? But, but we know for sure that the Lord Jesus Christ was not resurrected and yet trapped in a tomb. Perish the thought that the Lord Jesus would need help even from an angel to free himself from the grave, right? The angel did not free him. The angel opened the tomb, not so Christ could escape, but so that others might be able to go in and see he is not there. So that they could have proof with their own eyes. I have seen the empty, the empty grave. I have seen his grave clothes just laying in there, and he wasn't there. But this angel would have been absolutely terrifying to behold. Right? Angels are almost always depicted in the Bible as striking an insane amount of fear into the people who see them, right? This, this angel had a face as bright as lightning and clothes as white as snow. And this is an appropriate look for a being who dwells in the presence of God, right? This angel is part of the heavenly host dwelling in the immediate presence of God. It, its blindingly bright look reflects the glory of God before whom he lives. This angel is a holy being. 
right? It's not divine. I'm not saying there's any divinity in this angel. It's a created being, but it's clearly a holy and heavenly being. It's bright. It's powerful. It descended with an earthquake. It had supernatural strength to roll this stone out of the way by itself. And the guards are so frightened by this angel that they become as dead men. Right? They, they pass out. Right? Like, it was just funny. Like, these battle-hardened, like, military elite Roman soldiers get a look at an angel, and they faint. They just pass out. Right? They're so overcome with terror at the sight of this heavenly being that they faint. They can't stay conscious. This reminds us of something. When unholy sinners come into contact with the holy, they ought to fear. When the unholy comes in contact with the holy, they ought to fear. Our God is just, and those who are found outside of Christ ought to fear. They ought to become as dead men at the thought of the holiness of God. Sinners ought to tremble at the thought of the justice of God because all who die in their sins will suffer the wrath of God for eternity in hell. And we need a Savior. We need to be found in Christ that we might be made holy and spotless, without blemish, blameless in Him. We need Him and His work done on our behalf to save us or we have no hope to enter into the presence of a holy God who is infinitely more holy than an angelic being. But the angel has descended, the earthquake is hit, the tomb is open, and the guards are passed out. This is a stunning scene. And all of this happens as the women are on their way to the tomb. This is before they get there. But when the women arrive, they don't faint. They're, they're scared for sure, but they don't faint. And the angel actually begins to speak to them. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He says, do not be afraid. Again, the natural inclination when you see an angel is to fear for your life. But this angel, while terrifying the ungodly Romans, comes to announce a message of good news to the women. Comes to announce a message of peace and comfort, a message of victory. And why are the women told not to fear? This is, this is beautiful. Why are they told not to fear? Because the angel knows that they seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel knows that they are his disciples. That they love the Lord Jesus. He knows that while they're weak in faith, they have devotion to the Lord. This is good news for us. Before we go any further, I just want to lay this before you. Those who love and seek Jesus who was crucified have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear, Christian. We need not fear the wrath of God because Jesus has already taken all of it in our place on the cross. We've been washed clean of our sins by the blood of Christ. We've been purified by him who was crucified for us. We need not fear the law of God though we still obey it. We're not antinomians. But we need not fear the law of God. Why? Because all of the curses of the law have fallen on him in our place. We need not fear men. Because in Christ, God is now our Father. And as the Apostle Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? What can mere men do to us? We need not fear the world. 
if we seek Jesus who was crucified because Christ has overcome the world and we're victorious in him and we need not fear death because Christ has taken its sting away from us. Those who seek Jesus who was crucified have been redeemed by him and have nothing to fear in life or in death because we are his people. So these women certainly don't need to fear this angel. Be not afraid. They're disciples of Christ and therefore friends of Christ. So the angel speaks peace to them. Verse 6, he says, He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Jesus isn't there. He's not there. This is the good news for them. He's not there. Prior to the angel coming, prior to the women coming, prior to the, the grave being opened, Jesus has been raised from the dead and departed the tomb. He has risen. Praise God. Our Savior is alive. Jesus is alive. This should make you smile. If it's not, then I don't think you understand how monumental that this is. Oh, we serve a risen, living, reigning Lord. The tomb is empty. And there's no body for them to go in and anoint because Jesus is alive. The angel even invites them into the tomb to physically see with their own eyes that Jesus isn't there. Right? Which tells us that this is a real historical event. This is not a myth. This is not a spiritual resurrection as liberal theologians will try to tell you. But this is a true, factual, bodily resurrection. Come see, his body is not here. And the kicker to all of this is, as he said. I love that. He is risen. And he told you. <laughs> Do you remember? Right? As he said. This resurrection is not by accident. The Lord Jesus has promised that he wouldn't stay in the grave. His resurrection had been prophesied in the Old Testament throughout the Psalms and the prophets. And it had been prophesied by Jesus himself during his earthly ministry. Just two examples. Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, one of my favorites. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Meaning, God, my, my Father, has given me the charge to lay down my life and then take it again. They will kill me, but I will be raised. This resurrection was no accident. Christ had been raised as it was prophesied and as he promised. And a quick aside, in his resurrection, we see the word of God being fulfilled and all of the promises of God coming to pass. That is to say, you ought to believe everything that the Bible says. His resurrection, not that the word of God necessarily needs validating from a human perspective, but his, his resurrection is the vindication of the scriptures. But why is his resurrection so important? The apostle Paul says that our whole religion hinges on the resurrection, but why? Why is this event so important to us? Because in the resurrection of Christ, we see God affirming things about the Lord Jesus. That's why it's so important. We see him affirming things, and we see some undeniable proofs 
about his person and work and the promise of future glory for his people. So I have four things for us why the resurrection is so important. The first is this. In his resurrection, we see that Jesus Christ was vindicated. Maybe you've never thought about it this way. He was vindicated in his resurrection. Proven to be right. Proven to have been true. All throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. All throughout his earthly ministry, he claimed to be the Son of God. And people called him blasphemer. They called him arrogant. They called him a liar. They called him a madman. They called him demon-possessed. But in his resurrection, we see God putting his amen to those claims as Jesus was raised from the dead. We see God putting his amen to the claims of Jesus. Psalm chapter 16 verse 10 says of the Messiah, of the Christ, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So in the the resurrection, God is affirming that Jesus truly is the Holy One of God. The chosen Messiah sent to save a people for himself. In Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says this of Jesus. says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So again, God is affirming that Jesus is truly the Son of God. That he has the divine nature in himself. That he is God come in the flesh. The resurrection of Jesus was the vindication of the Son of God. Proof that he really is indeed who he says he is. So let all who would dare reject and deny that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. Let them be silent and shut their mouths. Let all those who would call Jesus a liar keep silent because God himself has vindicated the Lord Jesus in his resurrection. Let the world be silent before the risen Christ. Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And he's vindicated by his resurrection. Second thing, in his resurrection we also see the proof that God accepts Jesus' sacrifice and righteousness in place of sinners. This is a proof to us. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 tells us that Jesus was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we might be declared righteous by God. Had Christ stayed dead, what would that have meant? Had Christ not been raised, that would have meant that he had deserved to die. And and, and that really he had died because of his own sins. Had he stayed dead, it would have meant that he was a sinner and therefore not a fit sacrifice for sinners. That he couldn't take away sins. Had he stayed dead, he would not have been the Savior. But that's not what happened. That's not possible. Jesus is the sinless Lamb of God who died in our place to take away the sins of the world so that we could be saved. He didn't die for his own sins. He dies for our sins. right? So Christ's resurrection is proof that those who come to Christ really are saved by him. Right? He, he didn't die on the cross for his own sins. He lived and died so that we could be counted as righteous before God. God says the righteous will live. His resurrection proves Jesus is righteous. His death was not his own. His death was for others. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ said, It is finished. Meaning sin had been paid for. He had accomplished salvation for his people. For all who would come to him in faith, they are redeemed. And in the resurrection, it's as if God the Father is saying, Yes. It is finished. They are saved. You are the sacrifice for sins. They are forgiven. It's proof that our sins are forgiven and that God has accepted the sacrifice of Christ 
Third, the resurrection is proof that we will be raised like Jesus was in a glorified body like his. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, Paul calls Jesus the firstborn from the dead. This means that Jesus isn't the only one who will be resurrected to a body like he has. He's not the only one. He was just the first. What a beautiful promise. He's just the first. We also will be raised from the dead on the last day. Our souls will be reunited with our bodies and our bodies will be raised immortal and imperishable. Never to grow old. Never to be sick again. Never to die again. Christ was raised bodily from the dead. His tomb was empty. And this is proof to us that we will be raised as well. Those who die in Christ will live again. Physically, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will indeed live bodily. Fourth, Christ's resurrection is proof for us that our faith is well-grounded. This has occurred to me this past week. And may God forgive us. I think we doubt what the Word of God says sometimes. I know we do. God has put his amen to Jesus' claims of being the Christ and the Son of God by his resurrection. God has put his stamp of approval upon the atoning work and righteous life of Christ in our place by his resurrection. God has promised us that since Christ was raised to a glorified body, we too will be if we are united to him by faith. In other words, you would be a fool to not believe this. You would be a complete fool to not trust this Christ. God raised Christ from the dead as proof for all of these things. What else do you want? What other good ground for believing upon him could you possibly ask for? God raised him, showing all of these things for us. Christian, your faith is not in vain. Your faith is not foolish. I don't care what kind of arguments that you might hear from unbelievers and skeptics that you don't know how to answer in that moment. And trust me, there's an answer. But in that moment, I want you to remember God raised him from the dead. And that's all the proof that I need. He has been raised. And how do I know that? Because the word of God tells me he has been raised. God can be trusted. Your faith is rooted and grounded in the testimony of God Almighty. So believe, Christian. Believe with no reservations. You're safe to trust him. But the angel then continues his message, verses 7 and 8. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The women are to go ahead and tell Christ's other disciples about what the angel had just said and instruct them to go meet Christ in Galilee where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. So the women go. And the text tells us they're full of fear and great joy, right? They don't know whether they should laugh or whether they should cry, right? This has been an an intensely emotional thing for them. They have fear at the fact that they just saw an angel, right? Terrifying in and of itself, an angel sent from God. But they have great joy in the message of the risen and living Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing could have made them happier than to hear that their Lord, who they loved so dearly, 
was alive and reigning. So they go quickly to spread the word. And on their way, we read this, verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Right? Like, as if it weren't enough to be told directly by an angel that Jesus is risen and get to go and look at his tomb and see he's not there. Now the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes to the women along the way. He meets them. He appears to them so that all of their fears and doubts might go away and they could know without reservation that he is indeed alive. But what Jesus says here is beautiful. Greetings, right? Like, doesn't sound like much. Uh, but the word translated here, greetings, also means rejoice. Some, some, some translations actually say rejoice. And, and this was indeed a standard greeting for friends. Right? You see someone rejoice. And I don't want to make more out of it than, than I need to. But that word was more than appropriate for this encounter. More than, more than appropriate. Because nothing brings the people of God greater joy than the fact that Jesus is risen. Nothing brings us greater joy than the fact that Christ is alive. Listen, this should, I, I know I just said it, this should make you rejoice. This should make you rejoice. He's conquered the grave. We are forgiven. Satan has been crushed. The final enemy, death, is overcome. We have peace with God. Christ's sacrifice has been accepted. Our Lord is risen and reigning as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. There is no greater cause for celebration and rejoicing. Through Jesus Christ, God has accomplished salvation for his people. This should cause us great joy. He lives and he will never suffer again. Consider the brutality shown to our Lord. Consider the hatred of the world shown to our Lord. And then here the text tells us he lives in spite of them. Never again will a Roman soldier nail him to a cross. Never again will crowds spit in his face. Never again will anyone deny that he is king to his face. Never again will he suffer an ounce of pain or sorrow. Never again will he die and lay in the grave. He is risen. And one day all will bow to him and acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether they do it willingly or unwillingly, Christ will receive the honor that he deserves. Christian, this should be the greatest, the single greatest joy that you have. To know that Christ lives and is glorified and is praised and honored forever. To know that he is vindicated and he now gets everything that he deserves as the son of God. You should rejoice. This should bring tears to your eyes. Tears of joy to your eyes. But these women respond to this greeting. Rejoice. With the only appropriate response. They see the Lord Jesus. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. This scene is precious. It's a true model of the heart of every believer in every age. They immediately fell on their faces and grabbed his feet. 
They got on the ground out of respect for just who it is that stands before them. They recognized him as king. They recognized that they are not worthy to stand in his presence. And they worshipped him. And they worshipped him. This is the only right way to respond to the risen Lord Jesus. With sincere worship from your heart. He is God. His resurrection is the proof. He was declared the Son of God in power by it. And He accepts our worship. He accepts our worship as we come to Him in humility, bowing to Him in our hearts, trusting in Him alone, and rejoicing in the fact that He is victorious and has conquered His enemies. Brothers and sisters, the, the fact that Christ is risen should move every one of us to rejoice should move every one of us to worship, to know that we are saved, to know that he is king, to know that he is forever glorified, to know that we will live forever with him, to know that he has conquered every enemy by his death and resurrection. All of this should make our hearts leap for joy and bring us to the feet of the risen Lord in humble worship. Behold, in this text, your living Lord and head of his church. He was dead, but is now alive forevermore. Worship him. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for your, for your word and the great comfort that it gives us. To know that our God lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us great joy as we think on the fact that Christ is vindicated and our faith is not in vain. As we think on the fact that Christ is glorified, has ascended to heaven, is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, making intercession for his people, being worshipped never to feel pain again. That when he returns, he will never, he'll never be spat on again, but he will return as a warrior king. To be loved and adored by those whom he has saved and to be feared by those he has not. Christ, may you forever be glorified and worshipped in our hearts as we rejoice in the fact that you have won. And God, we thank you that by nature of being united to him by faith, that we have won in him. May Christ be praised forever and ever. Amen.